how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 412, where I sat down with David Hollander. In How Basketball Can Change the World, this NYU professor and author takes us out of the classroom to present a beautiful new philosophy with contributions by many of his past guests and based on values inherent to basketball, such as positionlessness, human alchemy, sanctuary, and transcendence, among others. In this interview, Hollander talks about the need to encourage young writers, the dangers of AI for future generations of writers, his love for basketball, and of course, how basketball can change the world. Speaking of books, I'm giving away my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, based on this podcast right now for free. That's the digital download and audiobook. Go over to brockswoodson.com to get your free copy. Here's my call with David. I probably should have done more with being a writer. My seventh grade teacher took me to a writing conference when I was, you know, then, and said, this kid can write. In fact, he, he thought that a paper I wrote prior to that, he thought I had cheated on it, that someone else had written it for me. And then he made an assignment where everybody had to write the essay in class. And then I, you know, so he could just sit there and watch me do it. And, but, you know, I didn't push as hard as I should have early on in my my adult and post-college uh, formation. But that, that original moment where somebody said, hey, you, you know, you really, what you wrote affected me. And I said, that's cool because I really enjoyed coming up with it. And uh, that was, I think, the beginning of, of me wanting to fulfill the promise and potential that someone had seen in me a long time ago. What else did you learn? So a lot of people today are talking about like the dangers of the, the AI writing programs, like writing really makes, you know, who you are. What was kind of your experience, like going down that rabbit hole and figuring out more about like finding your voice and everything else? That's a great question. Uh, I've had to, be courageous enough to be honest uh, about how I sound and how, you know, what I like to sound like. I, the more I tried to write what I thought somebody wanted to hear or mimic other styles, um, it just wasn't what it was about. It was about just struggling to find exactly what I was trying to say. Um, and so <laughs> yeah, I have uh, profound um, thoughts about AI and chat GPT and all that kind of thing. But um, I think one of the greatest things you can do is articulate. Hmm. Um, and that's uh, that's it uh, uh, specific to the human endeavor. What is your like? What does a given writing day look like for you before we get to the book? Like, what are some of the logistics of your process? 
when I'm locked into an assignment, uh, I'm taking notes all the time, um, funneling information through that. But even before that, if there are, you know, I have files that I'm keeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it's time to write, I just dump. Um, and then I go back and edit. And usually that first dump isn't so bad. Um, mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of um, um, uh, scatological. I don't mean to sound that way. Um, you know, first dump. But uh, and that that first kind of pouring of of the just just what I got. And then I, I try to fix it and I try to fix it again. And I, I, I'll leave it alone. At some point I will stop and the space from it helps. Um, and then you go back in the struggle and it's just an iterative process for me. Really. Um, that's what it is. Where did your, uh, like first love for basketball, where did that kind of come into play? My father built a, square blacktop in the back of our in our backyard um with a basket i mean not a shell basket but a a full square um backboard and had older brothers and my father played and and it just became a a joyous space of uh you know where we could be with others be by ourselves um there's no question it started there. I love kind of your opening. Um, just you, you use the word like to hear basketball sounds. You It almost like stops you in your place. Um, so for those who are not familiar, what is it you're obsessed with? It's not like it's not like you're obsessed with the NBA or college basketball per se. It's more like the sport at any given age. So what are some of your thoughts that other people may not have? It's not about the NBA. It's about having learned that what really draws me, what so what compels me is the game itself and myself inside of the game. It is that something happens spatially, physically, um, socially in that space that really stabilizes my humanity really makes me feel like i'm connected uh, and belong um, which gives me great peace because a lot of us spend a lot of time perhaps you know struggling or, or in conflict or 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 competing it's not even about whether i win or lose it's about playing and so when I walk by a basketball court, I do stop every time because I see that activity that's so familiar to me, those sounds that are so familiar to me, and it's a comfort. Um, and th- that's that's what it's about for me. Yeah, I consume basketball uh the nba the ncaa um but i'll watch a basketball game just about wherever it's played yesterday i was honored to be the guest coach for the nyu women's team um and i, I mean i just love this game because it's 
I've internalized it uh, and happily, I don't want to get rid of it. Is there anything that upsets you about the standard game? Like, I don't know, a shot clock or something that puts some constraints on it? Or do you see all that as a positive thing? Uh, you know, those are um, so the shot clock, the three-point shot, uh, um, all those kinds of things. I think uh, uh, I just chalk that up to evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, the game was figured out very early on, I think that the, the highest evolution of the game came when James Naismith, late in life, his final disciple, a guy named John McClendon, the first African-American phys ed student at Kansas. Um, Naismith sat with him outside and watched kids playing with no coach. Um, no organizer, no commissioner, no referee. And he said to McClendon, tell me what you see. And McClendon said, well, I see the kids chasing the ball when they don't have it and attacking the basket and trying to score when they do have it. Naismith said, that's it. That's the game. And this guy invented the end-to-end fast break. Mm -hmm. Relentless defense, relentless offense. Everything else that's come from that is a strategy, a tactic, um, uh, the essential game that, that, that's, that's still there. In fact, I would tell you that we finally, a lot of people like to call the ultimate state of the game positionless basketball. As you know, that's one of my 13 principles in the book, positionlessness. I think that's exactly what Naismith meant from the very beginning. I think we've evolved to what it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. um, which is a powerful mindset for all kinds of things in the 21st century, the future of work, um, relationships, um, you know, global problem solving. Positionlessness is none of us are just one thing. And um, higher education can can learn a lot from that, get out of our silos and, and begin to kind of understand that there's so much more we can learn and do. So I'll I'll read a few for the listener cooperation, balance of individual and collective balance of force and skill, positionlessness, human alchemy. Did you just start to kind of write about your love or your obsession and then find these? Like how did these 13 come about? Yeah, again, it's a great it's a great question because I didn't, I, I knew in an unspoken way that this game stood for really profound and beautiful and important and, you know, instructive things. But no, I had never articulated them. I'd never, you know, other than kind of in, you know, some perhaps some uh, creative prose and, and you know a- analysis of this or that. It's exactly right, Brock. I had to sit down and do some hard thinking about okay, what what is it? You know, and and I really focused. And I, you know, honest with you, I think ten principles would have been more manageable, or eight or nine. <laughs> but these were the thirteen things. I, I I really said, okay, let's start here. 
you know, what, what's really going on when you play? You know, first principles cooperation it sounds so trite, but it's, you know, I, I try to enrich it with uh, what really goes on between humans and, and how it can solve peace and things like that. And I, from there, I, I built um, what happens next? What happens next? And I'd say the first five principles are human development principles. The next six are social impact principles. And the, la the last two are how we get to tomorrow. You've got a comparison. I think uh, it's about like, like soccer explaining the world. Like was the origin always how basketball can save the world? It's such a big statement. So tell me when it came, did you discover it later or in the beginning? Yeah, I wanted it to be a provocation. I, I all credit and inspiration uh, to how soccer explains the world, which I read by Franklin Four. Um, what, uh, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And, and I thought it was, I thought it was terrific. I thought it was brilliant. I, I, I thought it was very clever. Um, the way he tried to help us understand what was happening, a phenomenon at that time called globalization through the different countries that were participating in an event that was going to be top of mind for everyone, the world cup, mm -hmm. smart book. Yeah. Um, but as I read it, I couldn't help but continue to say to myself, yeah, but basketball. Yeah, but basketball. <laughs> and it wasn't that basketball explained the world. I thought it was actually a solution. And I teach sports business. That's I'm on the faculty of the, the sports management at NYU. And, and, and so when I teach sports business, the first thing I ask my students is, why do you like sports? Why well, I say who likes sports and they all raise their hand. And I say, why? And then no hands will go up and they start to think, well, what? and I say the difference between you and other sports management students is we're going to think about what this thing is sports. And I had to challenge my, well, what is basketball? What really is it? Cause I was about to propose a humanities course hmm. to my sports business deans, you know, and it, they eventually settled in the sports management department. They were the only ones who, uh, who were ready to, to let me do it. I had taught for a while and I, I had some credibility, but it's, it, I meant it as a provocation. Um, I meant it to get attention um, because I believe we need to start coming up with new sources of ideas because we've been following a lot of old sources of ideas, which have progressively led us to repeat of old problems, just worse, more technologically advanced versions. Mm. And I think we need to change. Mm. And so that, that was the, yes, I, I, I intentionally meant it to, provoke, challenge, get attention, um, raise doubt. Um, absolutely. Did that kind of talking about it with, with people and, and at your job, did that help you when you had to move from an idea to the pitch? Like, was the book already written? What were some of the difficulties of getting this book sold? 
No, the book, uh, it, it was meant to be a course. It wasn't meant to be a book. Um, I teach. I'm a, I'm a full-time professor at NYU. Um, I've won awards for teaching. Um, and I am proud and I love teaching. I hope I do it until I die. You know, oftentimes you do something in the classroom. People say, that's a book. You know, you should write a book. Um, and that's a good thing to do when you're in academia. The book came about the more and more attention came to the course. The mere announcement of it got uh, coverage from the Associated Press and 60 major national outlets. CBS News, Slam Magazine did a feature. Um, by the way, they just yes, just today they came out with a uh, an excerpt um, in their edition that dropped today. But when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. And the world really did need saving. Mm-hmm. The New York Times wrote a 1500 word feature about the title of it was at NYU explaining an unraveling world, you know, through basketball. Because a lot of people forget. We were terrified. We didn't. Institutions were failing. Um, nothing was working. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know how to get out of it. And when the New York Times wrote that story, um, that's when I started getting calls from book publishers. Did you have any hesitation about it, or did you see it more of as a, a, a broader soapbox to kind of share the message you want to share? The latter. That's what I wanted to do. No hesitation. I wanted to write that book. Um, uh, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I'm. It's a soapbox is a good word. Um, uh, because, you know, when I explain to you all those beautiful things, I feel when I think about basketball and I walk by a basketball court, when I play, I know I'm not alone. There's so many people who have shared that same feeling with me. And I just wanted to give that intuition that, that, that already kind of understood notion. I wanted to give it vocabulary, language, structure, codify it into a, 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 a value system, a thought, uh, uh, you know, structure, um, principles, philosophy. Can we talk a little bit? So a lot of people say team chemistry, you have a chapter called human alchemy. Can you tell me a little bit about the difference in your mind of what alchemy means in this regard? Yes. Um, a lot of folks like to talk about team chemistry. That's a very popular thing to say in sports. And to me, that's a, an idea that says, well, we're going to take this person that's like this and this other person that's like this. And we believe if we put them together, those two kinds of people will create a winning team. And that's team chemistry. Alchemy is you take a person like this and take another person like that and you put them together and both of them become something else because of their effect on each other. They are no longer this and that. They are different and thus better. Mm. 
they become a they transform to a superior winning uh, uh, matter. Mm-hmm. That's what the old al- al- alchemists used to do. They would you know spin hay into gold or, or you know this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's exactly what happens when you play basketball, right? Um, I've seen people become something else. Uh, and actually the opposite when they try to keep their what they've done in the past or who they are, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I extend that to the world at large and I say, all this talk of you know how are we gonna again, going back to the pandemic, it was a great moment where the world started asking these questions, well, how are we going to reset the economy? How are we going to reform institutions? How are we going to, um, you know, come up with new ideas? Because, gosh, we see now that we can no longer be who we are, you know, who we once were. This is a new world. The way you get to a new world is by alchemizing. Not by taking old institutions and old interests and trying to fit them together, but having an effect on each other that creates a totally different set of interests, a totally different construction of institutional um, usefulness, which makes a different world, which necessarily will make all of us different. I believe that's evolution, that's progress, that's precisely what I want to change, which is the old ideas from old leaders for a millennia, monarchs, military types, politicians, lawyers, economists, um, you know, theologians. These are the folks that have come up with isms, communism, socialism, capitalism, theism, deism, and these, they were well-intentioned, let's say, to make the world more just, more meaningful, more productive. And it's not that we haven't lived with meaning or productiveness or, or efficiency, but we seem to continue to find ourselves, and we certainly find ourselves now, yet again, in intractable new versions of old problems. Mm-hmm. And we need to alchemize. Some of what you're saying on a you're talking about the pandemic on an individual level makes me think of the book Anti-Fragile, where if you're trying to just be resilient, you're gonna kind of break. But if you're it sounds like you're willing to step on the basketball court and always be open to evolving. It sounds like that's the mindset that this is kind of pointing towards. Yeah, it's really well said. I go on a basketball court and it's different every time. I don't know where it's gonna go. Mm-hmm. How could I? I'm walking in and mixing with other folks. And I may not know them. I usually don't. And immediately, I have to find ways of knowing them. The Mojave poet, Pulitzer Prize winning poet, MacArthur genius winning poet, Natalie Diaz, who also happened to play in two Final Fours with Old Dominion. She calls it what happens is you start to enact a family. Hmm. What are we here for? What what are we here for? To me, what we're here for is to do what happens in a pickup basketball game. 
It's to try and figure out how to do better, do more, do well by each other in this space. Space in basketball is the court. The space for us is earth. So it sounds like um, the book to me is maybe leaning towards philosophy. But if a, a parent picks it up with a kid who wants to play basketball or a coach who's coaching kids, yeah. are there a few um, things they could implement right away to start being more open-minded about the evolving game and teaching it with this kind of mindset? Yes. Um, those first five principles, I think you be, you start with just walking on the court and passing and playing and then ask them to reflect. So what just happened here? What did, what were you thinking about Kyle? What were you thinking about Jessica? Um, when this happened, mm -hmm. Jessica, what were you thinking about Kyle? Mm -hmm. And there we begin to identify, well, you may not know this guys, but you were, you were empathizing. You were actually having empathy. You were, you were thinking, geez, I know she's open and she wants the ball, but you were thinking about how she's thinking. You were feeling her a bit. So you can do that with the second principle, balance of individual and collective. You can do it with the third principle, balance of force and skill, um, certainly with position. I want them to construct questions and identify, help them identify how they're learning. That playing, this isn't just playing. This isn't just athletics. The playing is learning. It's not just an athletic institution, it's a social institution. And isn't that so much cooler? Isn't that so interesting? Isn't that so meaningful? And you might even like Sue Bird, who came to my class and I said, you know, we're talking about like space. Big thing when you coach and you talk about space. First thing they teach you, spacing, if you're a good coach. <laughs> and Sue Bird and I were talking about how she makes space and gives space and creates space, how important it is to understand that on a basketball court, because that's the way you enable your teammates to do what they can do best. And I said, that's cool, man. She's like, yeah, I never, you know, when I think about it, I'm always making spatial decisions. I said, and how about when you're out on the street? How about when you're in a mall and you're moving with other people, other bodies, a basketball consciousness, a person who has done it, who has learned to give and take space in order to achieve whatever is trying to be achieved. In basketball, it's creating space for, let's say, a shot or creating space to get someone open or creating space to help on defense. This is a life skill. Mm. This is how you walk down the street with others. This is how you manage being a body with other bodies in the world. And, you know, she really... Love that. And that's one of the greatest basketball players ever, Super. Mm -hmm. So running up on time, uh, I just want to do a couple more. For those writers listening, if they have a kernel of an idea that, that's maybe a little bit like this, they're combining basketball and philosophy or something along those lines, what advice might you have about just evolving that idea? One thing's obviously time and putting time into it, but anything else you can think of to help shape those ideas? Yeah. So you have to go prove it. You have to do the, you have to do the groundwork. You, um, you can set up a thesis 
but then you got to go prove it and you really got to poke holes in your thesis and just see how true this is truth is what you're seeking not the correctness of your position and you may find that there's a new thing here that you weren't even thinking about and that's really what your book is mm-hmm. but you have to obey truth and which means you have to find it and that requires really digging really digging and and pressure testing your thesis your idea your kernel your 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 brilliant observation once you feel like you've proven it then you have to structure how you're going to most effectively deliver it so you need the material and then you have to figure out a structure and then you can have a lot of fun then you're you can relax and just fill that structure i want to read just uh, two lines and then we'll do a closing uh, this is from your book our world is changing in seismic fundamental ways at light speed each of us must answer the call of this world we can no longer be who we were just any kind of final thoughts about a takeaway you want people to receive from the reading this book. I love that you seized on that. Um, that is from the uh, alchemy chapter and we can no longer be who we are, who we once were. Um, you can s- stay home and watch the news and howl at it. You can stay home and, and, and check your scroll on your phone and howl at it or you can go meet someone and do something and begin to restitch together the shredded social fabric which is going to take us to all those things you want to solve but you got it we got to get out and be with each other like on a basketball court and then immediately fluidly, continuously start to cooperate. And once you do that, once you take those actions, you'll build the trust. And when you build the trust, there's no telling what we can do together. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.